Do you or someone you love need to know more about salvation? Go to our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net and click on the Salvation tab today. I like to live in terms of simplicity, and if it's saying that we don't fight in the flesh, then I'm going to believe we don't fight in the flesh. It may have the physical appearance of a fight in the flesh, but it is not a true fight in the flesh. We have got to realize that. The second we realize we're not fighting our battles in the flesh, but they are spiritual attacks on us, the quicker we can attack back, we can defend and we can attack with the proper tools. Every single day we are bombarded with thoughts, some good, some not so good. Since we are humans, it is often difficult for us to see our thoughts as anything more than part of everyday life. But the Bible tells us to take those thoughts captive, that we are in a spiritual battle and not a battle of the flesh. Since we are fighting a spiritual battle, maybe we should be using spiritual weapons. That's exactly why we were given the full armor of God. In today's sermon, Herman Mason continues his series on standing firm with the full armor of God. Today, he takes a look at the purpose of the helmet of salvation. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 6, which is what kicked this whole series off. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. In that group of scriptures, please notice that, they, that you know, it says stand firm multiple times. And that is the key to resisting the devil. We, got to, we have to realize, as I've said each time, that we're not in a fleshly battle. When we, when we start fighting these things in flesh, we're going to lose every time. If we recognize it's a spiritual battle, then we're more prepared. But we also have to realize we do have to stand firm. If we do not stand firm, we will get run over. And then we've got to go in with the proper attire, and that is that full armor of God. So as we review again, stand means to maintain one's position. We have to maintain our position in Christ. Firm means securely, solidly fixed in place without weakness or uncertainty. Without weakness. So if we put all of that together, then the stain goes something like this. When I put on the full armor of God, I will be able to maintain a position that is secure, solidly fixed in place without weakness or uncertainty against the schemes of the devil. And that's really what started this whole series off. As a matter of fact... I didn't originally plan to, to, to preach on the full armor of God. I really just planned to preach on standing firm, but it came, became very apparent that it's impossible to stand firm if you're not standing with the right armor on. If you're not standing with the right tools, you're wasting your time. I think about the football games I watched yesterday, and some of those running backs would just truck the defender, hit them hard, and they would throw the defender backwards. And I'm thinking, man, that looked really cool from my end, and I'm sure that hurt a little bit. But can you imagine if one of those players didn't have their pads and helmet on? I mean, it would have just been bad. So it's not enough to just stand firm. You've got to stand firm with the full armor of God. So let's review real quick the different areas that we've talked about with that armor. First of all, you have got to have on your belt of truth. You've got to gird your loins with truth. That means you need to be surrounded by truth. The more you pump truth into your life, the more you're going to be able to recognize the falsehoods that are presented in this world. 
Then you've also got to have the breastplate of righteousness. It's the pursuit of righteousness or the right relationship with our Father. It's not enough just to confess salvation. You've got to be pursuing that relationship with your Heavenly Father. He's definitely pursuing that relationship with us. More importantly, when we don't pursue that relationship with the Father, we're not putting that breastplate of righteousness on and it keeps our heart exposed to the enemy. And you can guarantee that if it's exposed, he is going to take advantage and try to destroy us in that area. And we've got to shot our feet with the gospel of peace. And that's just backwards thinking in humans' terms. In, in man's idea, fighting is physical, lots of anger, rage, pain, inflicting on others. But a fight according to God is very spiritual. There are lots, it's lots of love, lots of peace, and lots of sound mind. And then last time we talked about taking up the shield of faith. Faith is knowing who you are in Christ Jesus. It's very useful against persecution, insults, and false accusations. And to build that faith, you've got to build your testimony, which means you need to expect that you're going to go through something. And if you don't, you're not building that testimony, and you're not building your faith. So today I want to talk to you about taking up the helmet of salvation. That's the next part of this full armor of God. And as you see, I've got a picture of what uh, it looked like or, or what I think it looked like in the Roman legionnaire back in Paul's day when he was writing about the full armor of God. And one of the things it says is that uh, typically that helmet, it, it was adorned with several emblematic figures and the idea was to strike terror or fear into your enemy. But in God's world, it's not just about striking fear into the enemy. His emblem is hope. And it's about giving us hope. It's more about building us and others around us up. Okay? But that hope also does the same thing. It provides fear in our enemy. Our enemy doesn't want us to have hope. And so if we show our emblem of hope, we are showing our enemy what we have and what he can't take away from us. It tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, but since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So that's where we get that from. It's the hope of salvation. Salvation means deliverance from the power and effects of sin. It means liberation from ignorance or illusion. You know, when I think about the helmet of salvation, when I think about a helmet, you know, I see, I see my good friend back there, JL. And JL has uh, talked to me. He's lost both legs, correct? JL is still functioning. JL is still witnessing and ministering. Amen? I, I've met people that have lost an arm or a limb and they can still function. I have never met anybody that lost their head and was able to function. I've never met anybody that lost their head and was still able to function. And uh, I was telling Tammy when I was thinking about that, the only, the only visual I got was the one time I was in Boy Scouts. And this will probably tell you why I didn't make it any longer than about a week. We went on a camping trip, and we were swimming in the water, and all of a sudden a snake popped up and started swimming across the lake. And all I remember is, you know, when you watch Michael Phelps, that joker is fast. But I am convinced that I would have set the new world record, and he would not have beaten my time in that moment. I moved from one edge of the lake to this dock in the center so quick. It was amazing. 
And then I'm watching because now I'm in safety and it's going up on land and I'm, over, I'm, I'm somewhere else. And the counselors or the scoutmasters or whoever it was, it just wasn't me and I'm glad, they took a rake and they chopped that snake and it looked like they chopped its head off. And I thought, yeah, except that snake kept moving. Well, that is not good. I think that's probably what built my fear of snakes. And I also think it's why the, the Bible says that we're supposed to crush the head of the snake because when you chopped the head off, it was still able to move. Now, it turns out, and do a little research, that snakes can live up to 90 minutes longer. They can still strike and uh, put venom in you up to 90 minutes even after you've chopped off their head. Uh, it does not say that, that humans are able to do that. <laughs> I don't know how you test that out. But I, I got to believe that the helmet of salvation is extremely important for us because unlike the snake, uh, we probably are not going to be able to strike anymore if we lose our head. So it's extremely important and probably more important than any other piece of equipment that we put on. doesn't mean the other pieces are not important, but if you put all of the other pieces on and you do not put on that helmet of salvation, the other pieces of equipment, in my opinion, are rendered useless. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So we started out in Ephesians 6, and he's telling us, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We look at 2 Corinthians 10, and it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. I like to live in terms of simplicity, and if it's saying that we don't fight in the flesh, then I'm going to believe we don't fight in the flesh. It may have the physical appearance of a fight in the flesh, but it is not a true fight in the flesh. We have got to realize that. The second we realize we're not fighting our battles in the flesh, but they are spiritual attacks on us, the quicker we can attack back, we can defend and we can attack with the proper tools. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Everything we see in our world right now is a spiritual battle. And the only way we're going to win that battle is if we fight it in the spirit. And one area we've got to work on is taking thoughts captive. That's what that helmet is for. It is to protect our thoughts. One of the ways that we give in is negative thoughts. Let me give you some examples of what I mean. We have that all or nothing mentality. If this date isn't successful, I'll be single forever. <laughs> Sometimes we overgeneralize. I've been bad at every single job I've had. We personalize. It's all my fault. We do what's called mind reading. All my friends, family, and coworkers think I'm stupid. We jump to conclusions. My boss doesn't look happy. She must be about to fire me. Catastrophizing. This is going to be a terrible day. Disqualifying the positive. This is one of my favorites here, but we do it. Disqualifying the positive. They have to say nice things about me because they're my friends, but they don't mean them. Should, must, and ought to statements. I should be a better son or daughter. I must start exercising. I ought to have a better job. So you're sitting there going, well, Herman, some of those last ones are, are true, right? That's not just negative thoughts. 
I mean, the reality is, in the shape and size I am, if I don't start exercising, I'm not going to get any better. I'm not going to have better health. So what do you mean by that? I mean, when we, that's where we go all the time. It's not just about improvements to be a better son or daughter. It's, it's the other connotation where I've got to be a better son or daughter because I'm not a good son or daughter. It's not about working on improving yourself. It's about constantly seeing yourself as something bad. Let me give you an example of what I mean. This is more in the area of shame and unworthiness. This comes out of a book called Ancient Paths by Craig Hill, probably one of the most powerful statements I've read in a while. It says, shame as opposed to guilt is a deep feeling of wrongness of being. See, when we read those statements, if we're not really processing a shame, we say, what's wrong with those statements? Because a lot of times we're having guilt. Guilt is okay. It means we have to fix something. We've got to work on something. It's when it goes to shame, right? He goes on, he says, guilt, on the other hand, is a feeling of wrongness of action. When I read that, I was like, it still doesn't make sense. But then he says the next statement, and it totally cleared it up for me. Guilt says, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. If I make a mistake, there is hope. If I am a mistake, there is no hope for me. Many people continue to try to rid themselves of the feeling of shame through doing, and they try to do this in the hopes that it will help. They then become human doings instead of human beings. And I think that's what happens to us. We have a hard time separating conviction and condemnation, guilt and shame. I actually put down here something else. I think sometimes positive thinking can be a a negative thought as well. If we start justifying everything is okay because God loves me. Take my weight, for example. God still loves me, doesn't he? So then do I really have to do something about it? I'm perfect just the way I am. But the problem is there's an issue there. And if I don't deal with the issue, if I just ignore the issue and I do nothing but say positive things, then I am going to have negative consequences. So we can't just gloss over stuff by saying positive things. Okay? But again, that's the difference between shame and guilt, conviction and condemnation. Conviction says, Herman, you're overweight. You need to do something about that. Shame and condemnation says you're worthless because you're overweight and you'll never amount to anything. The crux of what I want to talk to you today, though, is one of the biggest battles in our mind. And growing up in a Christian household, I didn't hear this from my parents, but I would hear it in other churches that I would go to. I would hear it from other Christians. And that is this idea of salvation and the different things that Satan attacks us with and tries to convolute and mislead. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Have you ever heard this statement that some are destined to be saved while others are not? I got a good friend right now. I didn't realize he believed this way. But he believes that there are only a select few that God has chosen to be saved. And the rest of the people are just doomed. The only thing I know to do is go to the Scriptures. And what does God have to say about it? In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that who ever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life whoever first timothy chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 says this is good and acceptable in the sight of god our savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth god our savior desires all men to be saved acts 221 and it shall be that 
everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But see, we don't take our thoughts captive and we allow seeds to be planted. And if you want to listen to people, they will come up with some great arguments as to why this is not true. But you have to know what the Word of God says. And I just read it to you. How about this one? This is, this is one of my favorite ones, and I don't mean that in a positive way. You can lose your salvation. And I got a little nervous about this a couple days ago, and I thought, I don't want to offend anybody. Because I don't truly, honestly know how each one of you in here believes on that. But I'm going to share my heart and what I feel like God has laid on my heart and what I believe to be true. And I believe that I don't serve a God that's dangling a carrot in front of me, leading me on a path just for his own whims and fancy. If he wanted to set up a system where I had to do a bunch of stuff in order to qualify to get into heaven, he could have done that, but he did not. How do I know that? Because it says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift of God. If you put all these strings and attachments to your gift, is it really a gift? Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not as a result of works. I cannot stress that enough. When we start putting qualifiers on how to get saved and how to keep your salvation, you are working in a works-based mentality. If I do this, then I can be saved. If I do this, then I will lose my salvation. And God is very clear here that he wants it to be in his strength and his might and not our own. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. It says so no man can boast. not as a result of works. There is no checklist besides confession and believing in your heart. John 10, 26 through 30 says, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You've got to take those thoughts captive. If you have professed your faith to Jesus Christ and you have accepted his free gift of salvation, then you are saved. If you meet someone that is not pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what words they're telling you. They can go around all day long and tell you they're saved and they're a Christian. But if our actions don't back any of that up, you can be assured that that's not true. Now, we don't actually know whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen? That's what the Bible tells us. But he said we could judge the fruit. So I don't know if we can actually tell if each person is saved. So that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the other part of that. If you got somebody that's living like the world all the time, seven days a week, okay, chances are pretty good they have no relationship with the Father. I remember growing up, and I would do things that weren't right. I know that shocks you. I'll give you a minute to process that. 
I'm sorry. But I did a few things that weren't right. And I don't know about you, but I got away with it for a little while. Sometimes the only reason I got caught is I couldn't live with myself anymore. I remember laying in bed one night, and I'm tossing, and I'm turning, and I cannot get to sleep. And I'm thinking to myself, what is going on? And all I can think is, you know, I gave my parents this magazine rack that I made in shop class. I'm sorry, let me try that again, that I made, quotation marks, <laughs> because I didn't make it. And I'm pretty sure it had been months later, maybe even a year later. And we're talking 11 o'clock at night, and I can't sleep, and I have to get up and go talk to my mom and dad and confess. Now, being loving parents, they knew. <laughs> they knew I did not possess that talent. But they didn't just totally destroy me. But because I had a relationship with my earthly father, I couldn't stand it. When you pursue a relationship with your heavenly father, you can do wrong things, but you are not going to be able to live with yourself. You are going to want to repent. That's how you can know and rest assured that you have salvation. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. By this case alone, nobody deserves salvation. And who's setting up the checklist on what we have to do in order to earn or keep that salvation? If I give back to the community, is that enough? Or do I have to put in so many hours before it counts? How many church services do I have to actually attend before God says that's enough and you're in? See, when we start putting works and checklists to all of this, then it becomes just what I said, a works-based mentality. Then there's something I can do for my salvation. God didn't set up the system for us to be able to do anything. He said over and over and over again, it is a free gift by grace and mercy. See, God's begging to be with us. He wants that relationship with you. He's not sitting there going, well, you can have the gift of salvation and keep it if you do this, 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 this. You know why? Because he knows that when you give your life, when you actually surrender to him, it's not a matter of you wanting to try and be good. It's not just a matter of checklist. You're not going to be able to help trying to get closer and closer to Christ. You're going to want to pursue that relationship. Why? Because that person has made a difference in your life. Think about other people that have made an impact in your life. Don't you try to follow after them, learn more and more from them, get with them, eat with them, talk with them, be with them. Why? Because they're going to give you something extra? No, because you have bought into what they're selling, right? You understand that what they're telling you is life-changing for you. So when you buy into what Jesus is selling... You don't have to worry about a checklist. You're going to want to follow after him. You're going to want to be closer to him. You're going to want to eat with him. You're going to want to drink with him. You're going to want to sit at his feet and learn from him because you know what he's offering is the very best for your life. Amen? Amen. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Some of the versions say new creation. It says the old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. When you accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you can rest assured that you are a new creature. 
You're going to be able to feel that difference. Everybody in this room that accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior can tell you that there was something tangibly different, something you felt. It was part of your testimony now, and people can tell you it didn't happen, but you know what you experienced. But what happens is our intellect tries to get in the way. We forget about that helmet of salvation. We forget to take those thoughts captive, and we start buying into the lies of shame and worthlessness and losing our salvation. And God never intended that. He made you special. He set you apart for great things. So does that mean we can just do whatever we want to? We accept God, have salvation, then go live any way we want to? That's kind of how some people perceive it, isn't it? It goes back to what I keep saying. When you are truly changed, when you have truly accepted Christ, that old self is gone. That doesn't mean you may not slip up along the way. But I can guarantee you this, if you chase after the things your old man chased after, they are going to hold no value anymore. It's not going to be as fun. It's not going to be that same high you experienced. You're going to be caught in the middle because you're not going to understand why do I feel this way. I used to love doing this and that, but I don't anymore. Because you are changed. Because God set you apart and made you new. Amen. So then what if I mess up? Guess what? There are times we make mistakes. Amen. We've talked a lot about my brother David. And David is a great man, and David is coming around. But David made choices to leave dad and go on his own path. Did that mean that dad stopped loving him? Let me go one step further. Did that mean that he was no longer part of our family? That's the same idea as losing your salvation, though, isn't it? Once you're part of God's family, you're a part of his family. You're not taken out of that family. You may go and make mistakes. You may walk away from him, but he will never walk away from you. And all you have to do is stop wherever you are and say, Father, please. And he will be right there. Says he left the 99 to go get the one, didn't it? Every scripture I read tells me that when I accept Jesus, he is it. It's not a dangling carrot. We have to put on that helmet of salvation because guess what? Satan is going to mess with us. We say it every time. Here's the deal. If you're not being messed with, if you have no turmoil and no tribulations in your life, you probably should check yourself. Chances are pretty good you are not pursuing the relationship with Jesus Christ that you should be. Because when you follow Jesus Christ, you're going to experience trials and tribulations. Then why would we ever follow Jesus Christ? Because that is the way you get the most abundant life. That is your hope of salvation for eternal life. He is the only way. That's why you would choose him and follow him. But it breaks my heart. The older I get, the more I see where Satan messes with us. I spent 15 and a half years teaching children, and I, I just, I don't know if I can ever help you understand the toll that mental games can take on children. Well, the same is true for us when we get saved. We're children in Christ. And, and it's real easy to get things twisted. I, I fully believe that God never intended for his, to, his word to be complicated. I, I, don't, I think it's an instruction manual written in basic 
I'd say English, but I realize it wasn't originally written in English, but you understand what I'm saying. It's written for us to understand. He has no intention of making it so complicated that we can't understand it. That's why he said over and over and over again, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. Salvation is not something you work for. It is a free gift. He says it multiple times, and he also says, for all have sinned. He says that over and over again. We're all guilty. But God. Thank God. Let me give you one more visual here to kind of bring all this together. Imagine having a gift all wrapped up and ready to be opened. I think of Christmas time, but you can do birthdays or a random gift. I used to do that for Tammy. I think she'd wish I'd do it some more, but I, I don't. We had three children, and they take all the money. We, we, we don't have time for gifts anymore. Maybe I'll wrap one of them up one time, and that'll be her gift. But you think about Christmas time coming up, and most of us celebrate Christmas. If not, you definitely understand getting a present. Most of the time that present is wrapped up, or at least as a kid they were all wrapped up. And it's there in the room. You're sitting in the room with it. You see the gift. You acknowledge the gift. The gift is there. It's got your name on it. It's your gift. Man, you realize that gift is from your mom and dad. You get excited. You start thanking them for the gift. You tell everybody about that gift. You start taking that gift with you. I got a gift. I got a gift. Look, I got a gift. This is from my mom and dad. Right now, this is from my mom and dad. They got me a gift. They got me a gift. That gift's for me. But did I actually receive the gift if I never opened the gift? You know, that's how we treat Jesus a lot of times. We see the gift of salvation sitting right in front of us. We get excited. Smile breaks across our face. We realize what he's done for us. There's salvation right there. We start telling people, hey, man, Jesus did this for me. But if I never actually opened the gift, did I receive the gift? You see, we see people going to church. But a lot of times it seems people are going to church for a checklist, hoping God will count it towards their salvation credit. We see people reading the Bible. People tell you they read the Bible. Guess what? People read the Bible for research purposes as well. We hear about people praying all the time, and they use the name God, but are they calling out to my God? Are they calling out to Jesus Christ or a God-like figure? And they call it prayer. That to me is where it gets into Jesus is the only one. God is the only one that knows our heart. And that's why it says in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. I used to tell kids all the time, I'd take them through this prayer and I'd say, I can help you with the confession part. I can't help you with the believe in your heart part. We can see people's actions. But that's why Jesus is the only one that truly knows who's saved. And it's not up to us to judge whether somebody else is saved. It's our job to live a life sold out to Christ and be that example to people so that they can see what's going on and they'll get convicted and they'll want to take on that life that you have. It is your job to know how to lead someone to Christ. It is not your job to save anybody. See, in Matthew it told us to go into all the nations teaching, preaching, right? It didn't say saving. We can't save anybody. So maybe you've been listening to this message and you think, I am saved. But do you have that next part? Could you lead somebody to Christ if they asked you to? Do you know how to lead someone to Christ? See, we have more to do than just worry about ourselves. 
If you're a Christian, it's about giving back. It's about following Christ. And guess what? Christ gave back constantly. So the first step is to receive that gift. But we've got to remember that when, we're, when we receive that gift, we are in battle. Okay? And just to bring it back around to what we started with here, and I'll close with this. It's all about spiritual warfare. The first spiritual battle is for your soul. And once you have surrendered your life and your soul to Jesus Christ and accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, you have the gift of eternal salvation. But that's not where your journey ends. Amen. And that's what the full armor of God is for, is not that initial confession. It's for the journey after the confession. And that's what the helmet of salvation is for, is not for salvation, but to remind you each and every day that you have that hope of salvation because you are a born-again son or daughter of God. That's what the helmet is for. It's so that when Satan attacks, like he did Jesus in the wilderness, three different ways and three different times, right? He said he didn't fall to this, so he asked him something else, right? He tried to get Jesus to fall, but Jesus took those thoughts captive. We have to do the same thing. When we win one victory, guess what? Another battle is coming. See, God says he'll give you the peace that passes all understanding. He never said that it would be super easy with no problems. As a matter of fact, everything in the Bible says the opposite. Trials and tribulations should be expected. Narrow is the path that leads to Christ, right? But that's why he's teaching us this method of fighting so that we can be prepared to go to war and be victorious day in and day out. But if you don't put on that helmet of salvation and Satan attacks your thoughts and he decapitates you spiritually, you're done. You're done. It bothers me to no end to see people tricked by the lies of man. It really upsets me to see people that are solid in their faith only to later give in to the arguments of man. To me, that is one of the main reasons Jesus said they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. When we debate each other, we can convince each other what this means and that means. But when we have a testimony, nobody can take that from us. So get in the fight, but get in the fight with your armor on. Get in the fight with that belt of truth. Get in the fight with your breastplate of righteousness. Get in the fight with your, your feet shod with the gospel of peace. Get in the fight with your helmet of salvation. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman, an elder at Southside, to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.